welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Well, it is spring, officially now, and that means we made it through this dreaded pandemic winter. And as we all look ahead to more warmth and more light, today we're going to spend some time talking about what lies ahead for our politically fractured nation as the Biden administration gets going with some of its key plans for our schools, for the economy, and still for getting us through the pandemic. As we enter into this strange new chapter of life where COVID-19 vaccines are now trickling out to more and more Americans, the path toward a new normal seems to be kind of coming into the picture. But there's still so much that we don't know. And the shadow of division sown by former President Donald Trump still loom pretty large. That is where we want to begin the conversation, by looking at where we are as a nation right now, being led by a Democratic president, while many GOP lawmakers still cling to the old regime. Joining me for this discussion are two people who know D.C. politics better than most. Don Gagne is a national political correspondent for NPR, as well as a WDET alum. Don, welcome back to Detroit Good morning. Today. Thanks for having me. Yes. And, um Glad to be here. Yeah. Yes. And uh, E.J. Dion Jr. is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a syndicated columnist for The Washington Post and a university professor in the Foundations of Democracy and Culture at Georgetown University. E.J., welcome back to Detroit Today. It's so great to be with you. And uh, it's so good to be with Don. Since this is Pledge Week, I can brag on Don on behalf <laughs> of WDE. Um, Don, for years, has come and talked to my students at Georgetown in a media and politics class I teach. And the, one of the coolest things about Don is that he travels America and lets people speak for themselves, which means he lets us speak to each other. Mm. And whether it's at a six-man, uh, it is man, it's a male sport, six-man <laughs> football game in rural Texas or at a union hall in his beloved Detroit, um, Don lets people talk uh, on the air explaining themselves. And that's a really valuable thing that we don't have enough of today. So end my pitch for Pledge Week, <laughs> but God bless WDET. <laughs> and we, of course, we were recording that now, EJ, and you'll be uh, a pop uh, Yeah, no, on, You can uh... repeat that as my devotion to Don is complete. I have to... <laughs> well, you know, it is, it is really great to have the two of you here together. You're both uh, guests on this show from time to time, and we have connections with both of you, but you guys have a pretty long-standing connection. EJ, you were just talking about that, but but how did the two of you? How did the two of you meet? Wow, I you know EJ, I don't know that I can pinpoint the moment that we met. I mean, I can guess when it was. Of course, I, I I've been listening to you on the radio, uh, you know, as a, a regular analyst on NPR on Friday afternoons uh, since before we knew one another but but my guess is it was in the elevator at npr or uh you know one of those one of those many conversations that we've had since where we just bump into each other in the hallway and we start talking and next thing you know the uh the all things considered producer is <laughs> like uh pulling you away like uh ej i know you're enjoying <laughs> this but uh we got to get you on the air <laughs> you know i don't remember either but my guess is it was either an npr hallway or somewhere in Iowa and New Hampshire, 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Very Where good the two year. of you are more than most people uh, ever ever would be in uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, of course. Uh, I, I I do have one like very oddly specific memory of EJ, and it was at a Hillary Clinton event in two thousand and seven in Omina, Iowa. Uh, I remember Omina because the water tower said Omina and it towered above the uh, middle school gymnasium we were packed into. <laughs> and we were all in the back and I looked over and I go, well, there's EJ. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we had a we had a nice little moment. I mean, we knew each other by then, obviously, but uh, but that's part of uh, that's that's part of the fun of this job. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it's work and obviously you're always trying to figure things out, but, but the, um, the friend, the friendships you make along the way and the random encounters like that, uh, to see people a little bit out of context. It's, uh, it, I, I felt a little out of context seeing you in the back of that middle school gym ej but i mean i know you spent plenty of time in such places but uh there we were and we picked up right where we left off yeah yeah i love don remembering omina my favorite uh, iowa gives the best date lines for stories my favorite is kiyosakwa iowa oh my goodness uh where i went to a ted cruz meeting in 2016 and Kiyosakwa is one of my favorite datelines ever. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good one. <laughs> okay, I want to start uh, with a story that's been in the news quite a bit, but but that I don't think is being explained very well to the American people. And this is the growing crisis at the border, uh, which I think. So I am I am a great fan of history, and I think it it informs so much about what happens in the present. And with the presidency, I, I have always talked about how presidents are are challenged by the things that they don't prepare for, that they don't spend their time under the campaign talking about. All the plans that they put together for what they want to do aren't the things that they end up really having to necessarily uh, deal with. And, um, and it's always something that just kind of comes out of left field. And I feel like this this story at the border, which seems to be getting worse, not better, uh, is the first such story for 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 Joe Biden, who who said almost nothing about uh, about how he would deal with uh, migrant children showing up by themselves at the border when when he was campaigning. But of course, uh, now that's happening, uh, and and it's a it's a growing it's a growing crisis. Uh, Don, I'm going to start with you. If you can explain to us what's happening and why, I think that would be really helpful for our listeners. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm fully qualified myself to explain what's happening, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, we, we, we do know that it kind of, it, it feels at least like it snuck up on the Biden administration. I suspect uh, that's less the case than it might appear hmm. outwardly and I'm, I'm sure ej will have some have some thoughts on that look during the campaign uh the the, the border at least uh from the from the you know if you looked at the side of the of the biden campaign and the democrats uh when it came up and it did come up um i don't i don't know that it was uh you know a, a top top 
tier issue. Yeah. But it but it certainly did come up and it was always in the context of uh you know how inhumane the Trump administration's approach to the border was. Uh and that uh, uh especially focused on children being, you know, ripped away from their parents was the terminology you always heard mm-hmm. and uh and then the conditions those children were kept in and then the fact that uh efforts to find the parents of those children were seemed seemed to be fruitless and stymied by the fact that good records hadn't been kept and they just didn't know where the parents were and mm-hmm. and it was spoken about in terms of that kind of crisis and then separately the wall you know was always an issue with uh, with uh, president trump kind of overstating what the wall was doing and how much had been built and Democrats kind of, uh, you know, you know, mocking that and mm-hmm. calling him out uh, for not uh, not delivering the kind of things that he had promised. Not that they wanted him to, obviously. Right. Yeah. So but 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 here we are. Uh, you I guess you could have expected that in the absence of Trump, that there would have been an increase uh, of people coming across the border. But, uh, you know, as as we reported over the weekend, you also have to take into account that these things are somewhat cyclical. Mm -hmm. And I confess, I don't know what drives those cycles, but they, they do kind of come in waves, and this is certainly one. But the problem for the Biden administration is there's nothing they can do to kind of keep it from getting worse right now or looking bad, uh, even if they had anticipated it. They are, you know, trying to put a humane face on it mm-hmm. to demonstrate in those ways that they are not the Trump administration in how they're handling it. But ultimately, and this this is true for so many things and will be true for so many things going forward, uh, you really do need some sort of bipartisan consensus in Congress to reform our immigration policies. Yeah. And that just feels like a non-starter yeah, yeah. at this point. So so the Biden administration doesn't have as many levers as not as as they would want or certainly as they need to address this. Um, I, 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 I guess I guess I'll leave it to EJ to kind of pick up from there. But I apologize for not like no, think... having more specific thoughts because it is it is just one of those issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, EJ, this this hands to Republicans an incredibly powerful cudgel, right? Uh, they they got battered while Trump was president for the treatment of of uh, migrants and, and, and other immigrants. And now in the very first months of the Biden administration, they're able to say, see, it wasn't just us. Uh, the Democrats don't have any better ideas about how to handle this. Well, yeah, and I, I don't think they're right about that. I think two things on the Republican side are going on. They think that immigration is a winning issue for them. And notice, they don't really want to talk about the relief bill. They don't want to talk about checks going out. Uh, they voted against it, and right. they'd like to push that issue aside. And this gives them an opportunity. And to pick up where um, Don left off, 
something like this was almost inevitable because whatever message got out to would-be migrants uh, to the United States, and a lot of people are fleeing really awful conditions in their own countries, uh, it was clear that uh, Joe Biden was going to be friendlier to immigrants in one way or another than Donald Trump was. Mm -hmm. That was uh, not hard to figure out. Um, and so this was going, there was going to be some kind of pressure uh, on this question at the border, uh, no matter what. Secondly, some of this started growing uh, before Biden was president. There were some court decisions and the administration can't turn back children. Uh, who are unaccompanied. They are turning back others. Uh, uh, the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas went on Meet the Press and some of the other, uh, other Sunday shows to send a clear message saying the border is closed. Uh, and they are trying, they are uh, pushing back, expelling essentially uh, people who aren't minors, but they have to accept all of these children. And I think it behooves them to move very quickly to try to get these children into um, you know, better facilities, safer facilities. I think they could actually work with a lot of the churches and charity groups around the country uh, to do that. Um, and there, I, you know, I think if there was a predictable early crisis or problem that was gonna throw the uh, Biden administration off its game, they were very disciplined in the first 50 days, focusing on the pandemic and the economy, this was uh, this was going to be it. But I think it was going to be hard to move from the Trump policy, which was um, essentially make things as awful as possible for migrants, um, even at the risk of making our country look very bad, that to move from that policy to a more humane policy was going to be a very hard transition. Mm. And you're seeing how hard that transition is right now. Does this force the administration's hand with regard to comprehensive immigration reform, which I know is on the agenda but wasn't necessarily at the front of the line? Does this crisis really put pressure on them to to, to move it up and to say, hey, we've got to we've got to get this going at least in Congress? I don't know if you can get it through, but uh, we've at least got to got to take a, a shot at it, Don. I I I think they would they, they would they would love to be able to find a way in in the form of legislation and uh, real reform passed into law through Congress, but it just is one of those things. There's just no indication at this particular point that uh, that that there's you know a path forward for any sort of thing. So so what they'll have to do at least in the at least in the you know near term is do what they can do through uh you know administration policy and executive orders and and whatever tools they have that they don't need to have something come through Congress and land on the president's desk for a signature. Mm. Right. I mean, the president put out uh, comprehensive immigration reform ideas, proposals right at the beginning of his presidency. He took people by surprise that he pushed it so early. As Don said, right now, uh, much more in, in immigration has become more of a partisan issue as the years have gone by. Um, you know, way back when President George W. Bush tried to get comprehensive administration reform through Congress, and a Republican president got more support from Democrats than Republicans 
for comprehensive immigration reform. Right now, I think the administration has to concentrate on solving, if you will, the administrative problem at the border and doing it all, all it can to get these kids placed in decent facilities. Uh, and then we can begin the debate. There, there's already a bill that's passed to help the dreamers, kids brought here as kids mm -hmm. by their parents. They didn't knowingly break any law. They were just brought over the border. Uh, and they're very, that's a very popular proposal. And even that has had trouble uh, getting through Congress. These are people who grew up in the United States, are American in every way except their immigration status. Uh, they didn't know another country, really. Um, and even that is hard to get through Congress right now. Hmm. Uh, I'm talking with Don Gagne and E.J. Dion. Uh, we're talking about what's going on in Washington with the early days of the Biden administration. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. What's on your mind about what's happening in Washington? What are you thinking about when it comes to the political climate of this country? Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about the stimulus bill, the American Rescue Plan, which passed along party lines earlier this month, starting to put money in people's pockets, um, among other things that were accomplished there. We'll also talk about vaccines and uh, how close we get to solving the pandemic uh, problem that has uh, plagued us for uh, at least a year now. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, uh, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will try to work you into into the conversation. Let's quickly go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, uh, I've got just a couple minutes before break, but I uh, want to work you in here. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. I uh, just wanted to ask your guests why uh, the Biden administration continues with so many of uh, Trump's policies, particularly around the uh, uh, trade and tariffs with the European Union. Hmm and the hostilities toward Russia and particularly China and uh, the militarization of space. Mm. Yeah, great question, uh, Gene. Uh, Don or EJ, who wants to, uh, wants to jump at that one? Well, I think that... <laughs> oh, go ahead, Don. I'll, I'll let yeah, you go. No, no, I, guess, I guess I would, I would just say quickly that um, they... Just because it was the policy of the previous administration doesn't mean that it's something that they're immediately <laughs> going to throw out, right? I mean, there are many things they didn't like, and there are many things that they reversed very quickly. But, uh, but you know, some of these things, uh, particularly an in, in issue like trade, uh, they're, they're kind of assessing where they are uh they're trying to determine if they like uh the you know or if there are any advantages to what the trump administration did uh even if it's something that they are keeping in place mm -hmm. or that they haven't reversed yet you do see them uh you know pledging to have uh you know, a more uh, constructive dialogue uh, on, on some of these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I have to, I guess, set aside uh, what we saw over the past, you know, three, four days with China <laughs> when I say that, because right. that's obviously something that, uh, you know, has gotten off on a very contentious, you know, r r relationship. Not not that it was, you know, any better uh, during their during the Trump administration. But I think you kind of have to look at it issue by issue and the things that they made a point of 
criticizing and uh, and campaigning against uh, and and pledging to reverse right away. Those kinds of things, they tend to have either done it or made significant progress toward yeah. that. Yeah. But there are a lot of things where they're still, you know, kind of assessing where they're at and trying to decide what they should keep of the previous administration's policies and then how they can kind of build on that in their own way. Yeah, that's a good distinction yeah, to draw. Yeah, go ahead, EJ. Oh, real quick, I, in, in fact, the caller, I think, raised three distinct questions in mm -hmm, a way. Mm -hmm. On Russia, if anything, um, uh, Biden has toughened Trump's policy toward Russia. We don't have to go into all of that. Trump had Trump was sort of half and half. There are certain policies tough on Russia and then certain policies that were totally pro. His public statements were very pro-Putin. On China, I think there has been a change in view over time in both parties of greater toughness on China, which is a response uh, to President Xi. I mean, what he's done to the Uyghurs, the folks he's sort of put in uh, essentially concentration camps, what he's done to dismantle democracy in Hong Kong, and a whole kind of debate um, in the United States, very sensitive in the Midwest, to how trade with China has uh, in some ways been more beneficial to China than to the U.S., particularly to industrial parts of the mm -hmm. U.S. So. I think it's not surprising that they haven't completely overturned Trump's policy there. Um, the one I want to know more about is, as the caller suggested, President Trump started this space force yeah. <laughs> as a new branch of the military. Um, Biden has said he'd continue it. Uh, I'm very curious to see what happens to that down the line. If I had a guess, I don't know much about space force policy. Um, uh, Biden decided that dismantling it would be way more problematic than figuring out what to do with this thing that President Trump decided to start. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this call is going to encourage me to look into that more because <laughs> I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. OK, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to continue this really wonderful conversation with Don Gagne, national political correspondent for NPR, and E.J. Dion, uh, Washington Post columnist. And we want to hear more from you. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined. My guest this hour are Don Gagne, national political correspondent for NPR and a WDET alum. Also with us is E.J. Dion, the senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a syndicated columnist for the Washington Post, and university professor in the Foundations of Democracy and Culture at Georgetown University, we're talking about what's going on in Washington, all of the things that are happening in these early days of uh, the Biden administration. Uh, a huge $1.9 trillion stimulus bill was passed and signed by the president, already starting to put money in people's pockets and soon will send billions of dollars to states like Michigan. Uh, lots of other things going on as well. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and let us know what you're thinking about when it comes to the political climate of the country, and the things that we're seeing come out of 
the early days of the uh, of the Biden administration? Is it what you expected when he was elected last November, or have you been surprised by some of the things that uh, that he's done or or started to focus on? Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is always the number here on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter. Put comments there, and we'll try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. Um, uh, I, I want to start this segment here. Uh, EJ, you recently wrote about this in a Washington Post column. You talked about uh, one of President Biden's early achievements does not get enough attention. He is rolling back the politics of culture wars. This is good news for his electoral and governing projects but also for our country. Uh, tell us what you mean when, when you say that, that he is uh, rolling back the politics of the culture wars. What I mean is that, uh, thanks for the question, because what I mean is that Joe Biden has been resolutely focused on solving two big problems that the country overwhelmingly cares about across every culture war fight. Uh, Americans want this pandemic to go away as quickly as possible, uh, and they want the economy to recover, uh, but not only recover, but also be fairer when uh, all of this uh, is over. Uh, thus, uh, Biden's uh, famous, now famous campaign slogan, Build Back Better, meaning uh, we want to get back to normal, but we want the normal to be better than it used to be. Uh, and so um, until this, you know, this immigration issue kind of popped in and despite efforts to make, you know, cancel culture and other kinds of questions, uh, you know, push them into the center of things, Biden keeps going back to these core problems. And, you know, I'd like to just mention um, two of the things I think in the economic rescue package uh, that are really important going forward in terms of kind of changing the political conversation. One is this extraordinary uh, growth in um, the child tax credit, making it refundable for poor people who may not pay income taxes. Mm -hmm. They pay other taxes like sales taxes, but they don't pay income taxes. Um, this will cut child poverty in half, but it's a measure that benefits parents all across um, the board, except uh, the very rich can't take advantage of it. But middle, this kind of brings middle class and poor people together around the idea that if we got to care about anything, it's the future of our country. And if we care about the future, we care about our kids. The other is expanding Obamacare um, by uh, ending these kind of abrupt cutoffs where people of lower middle income suddenly discovered that if they passed a certain amount of income, their subsidies kind of almost disappeared. Um, and there are millions of people who are going to be able to afford decent health insurance again because of that. Um, the fact that I'm talking about core economic issues is what I meant when I wrote that column, that mm. we are talking about some issues that seem to bring people together as opposed to those issues on which we uh, yell at each other quite a lot. Yeah. And Don, we've seen in the last four years the ways in which a president can use extreme partisanship and extreme partisan narrative to try to push through the things that he wants to get done. But we've also seen the consequences of that uh, among uh, among the population. I wonder if you think that Biden's approach, which is to focus, as EJ points out, on these kind of core issues that people really care about and which resonate with people probably across political lines, 
will also have the effect of making it easier to solve some of the partisan problems that we have. In other words, if you, you know, if you if you concentrate on uh, the center and the, the the core issues that people are are worried about, does it give you more political capital even than somebody like uh, President Trump had? Right. Yeah. I mean, in theory, it does. Um, but uh, again, you know, look at the look at the rescue package, uh, mm-hmm. and it was a party line vote. Um, so it's it, you know it's it's not like they uh, in this in this time of of extreme partisanship that anybody's looking to cross over across the aisle. And, and 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 work with the other side and uh you know as ej just pointed out that was a very big and a very progressive piece of legislation it's the kind of thing that has actually surprised a lot of progressives in the democratic party that uh, gee maybe biden is on our side a little more than we thought he was mm-hmm. you know uh, especially during the campaign and uh you know all of the all of the talk about uh, reaching across the aisle and getting things done and bringing unity to the country and the like during the campaign that did make uh, progressives a little bit nervous clearly they still supported him uh and campaigned for him but uh in, in, in reality, uh, in office, he has been much more progressive than they had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not necessarily a predictor for, for the next three years or even for the next uh, six months. But where, where he has been a very moderate force, has been just never taking the bait on any of these hot button issues. I mean, I think the closest he's come so far was his reference to uh, people who, you know, who were uh, refusing to wear masks or or not not wanting to get the vaccine as Neanderthal. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And and that 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 was like the old Joe Biden talking. (laughs) But it was uh, since since he took off as kind of an uncharacteristic uh, moment of of Biden as candor <laughs> that, that, that 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 we saw. So um, uh, I, I mean, I do think ultimately he is a deal maker, and I do think he really does want to figure out a way to uh, be able to sit down with Mitch McConnell and work out some sort of a deal. But what we you know, what we saw from the uh, from the from the rescue package is if he's got the votes and if it's something he can pass with 51 votes, uh, if the other side doesn't want to play, then he's just going to proceed and, and and do it with the votes that he's got. Mm-hmm. You know, what's fascinating about Biden and what they're up to is they are trying to uh, redefine the words bipartisan. What they're basically saying is These Republicans in Congress don't seem ready to go with us, but look at what first governors and mayors think of our proposal. A lot of Republican mayors in particular came out and supported the rescue package, but also look at public opinion. Um, That 41% of Republicans said they supported the Biden uh, COVID relief package, according to a Pew poll, and including 63% of lower income Republicans, which in this poll was defined as somewhere below $40,000, $38,000 a year. Um, those kinds of Republicans were actually Trump supporters, mm-hmm. a lot of them, most, or virtually all of them. 
Um, and so the interesting question, and we don't, this is going to play out over a couple of years. We don't know the answer yet, but will this statement by Biden saying, look, my aid is going to go to you, whether you voted for me or not. A lot of the people who are going to benefit from these programs are, yes, um, lower income people, many of them inner city people. The child credit is particularly good for black Americans. Yeah. Um, but an awful lot of people benefiting from this program are going to be Trump voters. Uh, and what's that going to do to their attitude toward Joe Biden down the road? We're going to learn over the next uh, six months and uh, into the 2022 midterms. Yeah, no, it's, and, it, and he seems to be daring uh, Republicans who voted against that package to uh, to run on that. Right. To no have vote. to explain that to, to, yeah. to their voters who who are all in favor of uh, of the stuff that's in the bill. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here. On the phones, let's start uh, with Gregory in Lewiston. Gregory, welcome to the show. Well, greetings to all. You're uh, three of my favorite reporters because <laughs> you play it straight with the facts. Thank Here's you. my question. The uh, partisanship seems to have infected journalism. And I'm wondering, you know, after I watch a show like Maria Parker Roma, whether the guests on that show and her and others like her, do they really believe what they're saying in other words are they intellectually honest with us hmm. or do you have backroom information that says they don't even believe what they're saying <laughs> that so. it's all a ruse <laughs> i, I think that's thing a I am super capable of question. doing is reading somebody's heart or mind <laughs> <laughs> but but ej i mean you've been doing this a long time in in, in washington and you have had uh, you know uh, media platforms that you shared with conservatives, for instance, and, and you know, had kind of the, the yin and yang uh, approach to, to, to things. Do you think that's less possible now because of what Gregory's talking about? In other words, is it harder to find conservative journalists who are, who are playing it straight, really believing the things that they're saying and, uh, and, and putting things together in kind of an honest way? Or are they... You know, as Gregory suspects, uh, kind of putting on for for an audience. Let me just say, I said the one thing I can't do. There are many things I can't do. I love basketball, <laughs> but I can't play it for a damn. Uh, but um, the uh, I think it's become tougher. I mean, I, I always joke that I'm old enough that I came to Washington before left and right liberals and conservatives truly hated each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so over the years, I've made a lot of friends among conservatives whom I argued with a lot, but they were arguments that are based usually on a uh, set of shared facts. Um, and we could get to arguing about fundamentals uh, without uh, arguing over, you know, whether X was true or false. I mean, every, any argument can involve that, but it's gotten much worse um, in my time of uh, of doing this. And there really are times when I do hear conservatives or people on the right. I mean, I'm not even sure they're authentic conservatives, but uh, people on the right um, who say things that just are not true and. Um, you know, all of us make mistakes. I'm not talking about an honest mistake here. I'm talking about like 
um, you know, Donald Trump won the last election. No, he did not. Um, every study of the election, all the recounts in the states, he did not win the election. Uh, and yet there were so many, um, some, you know, serious people on the right um, have uh, stuck with that. Now, uh, the other thing I'll say, it's just a, a, a an observation is, um, almost all the conservatives for whom I had a lot of respect over the years, even when I disagreed with them, a very large number of them became anti-Trump conservatives uh, because they believed in small D Democratic values, mm -hmm. uh, even if they opposed the large D Democratic Party. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, I really appreciate that question because I think uh, it, it gets at what you're what you're part of what you're saying here John EJ which is that things have changed a lot uh, and they I feel like they've changed a lot more in the last five to ten years than they did in the ten years prior to that in terms of the way that partisanship kind of uh, kind of plays out uh, and it's great to have you guys here to to, to shed some light on that uh, again Gregory thanks very much for the call uh, let's go to Chris in West Bloomfield Chris welcome to the show Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to say I'm so happy to hear this is like a, a recurring segment with uh, EJ and Don because it just brings a lot to Detroit today, and, and I really appreciate you having them on the air. Uh, we love having them here, too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my question is, so I know, like I was reading about Medicare X and how that was stripped out uh, as a result of some compromises with Republicans, and I was wondering, so when Democrats and when Biden make compromises and, and uh and to make it more moderate, to win, you know, Republican support, if they're not winning votes, are they getting something more nuanced sort of behind the scenes, like after the law is passed? Do they get commitments from people to be less vit to be less vitriolic about it? So even if they don't get the vote, are there other things that Republicans can, can bring to the table to uh, where the Democrats are winning some support? Mm. Hmm. Great question, Chris. Uh, Don, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, with, with, without getting into the weeds under Medicare, because uh, because I'd get myself in trouble very fast. You <laughs> no can one my, understands my... Medicare. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, except for my, my my former colleague Julie Rovner at NBR. Yes, who... yes, she does. <laughs> yes. We have her on the program a lot. Sated Julie Rovner. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, well, I, I, I think the, um, the squishy but true answer to this question, uh, I think, is um, sort of. <laughs> um, well, there, there, there are things implied, like, you know, I can't be with you on this one, but maybe, uh, maybe we learn something about one another in this discussion, so maybe we can find some ground to have some sort of conversation that could lead to us maybe agreeing on something <laughs> on the next issue, maybe. But then, of course, you know, the politics of the next issue are the politics of the next issue, sure. and you never know what they will look like from, from moment to moment moment. So it's not that there aren't um, goodwill discussions like that. I guess that's the best way to describe them. But uh, uh, but 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 that's but that's, you know, no, no guarantee. And you never take those to the bank until the next discussion rolls around and you actually get the vote. Hmm. Uh, EJ? Yeah, I, I think they are, in fact, making fewer of those kinds of concessions 
than were made early in the Obama term. I mean, the Obama administration, for example, when it was negotiating Obamacare, I believe today is its 11th birthday. Um, and uh, they sort of gave the Republicans this or that change. And finally, one day, uh, Obama, I think he tells his story in his memoir, was sitting down with Chuck Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, and said, look, we're saying, yeah, we'll go along with you on this or that. Will I ever get your vote? And um, Grassley hemmed and hawed and said, well, basically, no. <laughs> and so the question <laughs> became, you make a lot of concessions if you're not going to get any votes. I think Biden is doing less of that. However, what Biden is doing is saying, look, my door is always open. I think you're going to see a lot of Republicans troop to the White House and have lovely meetings with Biden. He's going to say, I really still want to work with you guys. Uh, can you come along with me on something? They're talking about some issues where you could actually have bipartisan agreements. They're not the huge issues, but some of them are important, like fighting uh, opioid abuse, like uh, expanding national service. There are some bills. Uh, there's a bill that Senator Schumer has about with uh, uh, co-sponsored with Senator Todd Young, a Republican of Indiana, um, which is about not letting China pass America by on sort of the next round of uh, uh, technology uh, change like artificial intelligence. So I think what the Biden administration is saying, look, we're going to stick to our line that we want to work with Republicans and we'll have you in the White House. Uh, but when it, the time comes, uh, if we think something needs to happen, we want that thing to happen. And the, uh, the, um, uh, the rescue bill was a perfect example. Biden said we need 1.9 trillion. The Republicans said, well, we'll put up 600 odd billion. Um, Biden said, gee, you know, that's not really an offer that looks like you're ready to compromise. And so they went ahead. And I think you'll see a lot of that going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don Gagne, EJ Dion, always great to have both of you here on the program and really wonderful to have you both here at the same time. Thank you so much for joining the show. But thank today. you for having us. And absolutely. God bless Don and his work in Detroit all those years ago. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> my last my last time in Detroit was election week, which was a pretty good week to be there. Yeah, and, a lot happened. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's always a pleasure. And it's uh, it's it's double the pleasure to be on with EJ. Uh, we, we have not seen one another in more than a year. Yeah. And I look forward to uh, the day we can... Uh, uh, Watch the Tigers and the Red Sox or something like that. Oh, yeah. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. You know, yeah. The only time Don and I fundamentally disagree is on sports. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the thing that matters, right? <laughs> That's right. All right, guys. Thanks very much. We'll talk thanks. with you soon. All right. Thanks. That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow. We're going to have a conversation with law professor Amanda Tyler, who has a new book on the late, great Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which she co-wrote with the late Justice Ginsburg before she died last year. This is 1019 WDETFM, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.